Welcome to the generation of youth for Christ. Are you excited to be here? We want to welcome you to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where it is a whopping 19 degrees. <laughs> but obviously that hasn't deterred so many of you from being here. We want to welcome you to what promises to be a very blessed next five days. We want to especially welcome those of you who are joining us through the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. We hope that you'll join us for all of our live in the evening programming as well as for our live Sabbath programs. And I also understand that we have many international attendees here. We want to say a hearty at the same to our Ghanaian contingent. We also have some seminarians from Zalski Seminary in Russia. Privyet, Kagdila to you. And for all of you who are joining us from around the world, from Guam, from England, from Brazil, from uh, Canada, our neighbors to the north and all the other countries, we just want to... Uh, say we're so glad that you joined us and we trust that this is going to be a life-changing event. Our theme uh, this GYC is be. We don't want to just talk like Christians. We don't want to just act like Christians. We want to be Christians from our hearts. And uh, to this end, uh, we will be studying the Bible. We'll be praying together and we trust it will be a very memorable uh, next few days. At this time, I'm going to ask Amy Shepard to come out and do our, or to lead us in our opening prayer. Uh, Amy is joining us from the Center for Adventist Ministry to Public University students. And we're glad that she could be with us this weekend. Welcome. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you've seen it fit to bring us together this evening, Lord, that you've brought us from all over the country and all over the world. We just pray, Lord, that you will make your promise true, Lord, that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that you will be there, Lord. And we pray that your presence will be with us and that um, as as a result of this experience together, we will not only grow grow closer to you, we'll also know how to better share you with those that we come in contact with every day, Lord. We pray that your spirit may fill this place and um, may continue to be with us as we leave at the end of the program. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Welcome again to GYC. One of the goals of GYC is to get young people, to get GYC attendees involved, not just here at the conference, but other opportunities that are outside of this conference to get involved. I brought up here a couple of my friends on stage, and we want to talk about an exciting initiative that actually you could be involved in just about any time of the day, just about anywhere in the world. And I'll ask you, what project are you involved in? We're involved with a ministry called Share Him. Share Him is in uh, ministry of the Carolina Conference, and we focus on mobilizing and equipping and training and sending out lay men and women to be involved in evangelism not only as an event but as a lifestyle so share him focuses in on people that would want to preach an evangelistic series both people who want to preach as well as people who want to get involved in their local church in an outreach team we call them involved in a lifestyle of evangelism which involves them preaching themselves in their homes in their churches or getting on an airplane and going to madagascar to preach or the philippines So this could appeal to the young evangelist sitting in the crowd, or it could appeal to maybe someone that wants to stay behind the stage and just help them and and, uh, organize for God. We have individuals who 
prefer to stay at home and get involved in evangelism. But we have others who say, you know, I'd like to go to places in the world where the church is on fire. And I'd like to practice preaching and getting involved in evangelism overseas. But then they want to come back here and get involved. So Shareham is involved in this kind of ministry. This year, we have taken over 750 lay men and women to about 30 different countries around the world. And praise the Lord, they have preached the three angels' message. And uh, they realize very quick that even though they have never taken homiletics, even though they have not had much experience in preaching, some of them haven't even had the closing prayer for Sabbath school before, but they're preaching an entire series of meetings and they say to themselves when they see people come forward to give their heart to Christ, they say, you know what, it's not really about me, it's the message, it's the Holy Spirit working through me to touch people's hearts. You know what, I'm getting excited. Are you excited? Something that we could be involved in, but... Now, let me ask the question. It, as I'm listening to this, if I'm, you know, 45 or, or 55, maybe I'm just about ready to join, share him, and see what I can do. But what about for the younger age person? Well, listen, folks. Uh, the majority, I would say, of the people who join in share him initiatives are young people. This year alone, we've taken over 300 young people, college-age kids, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And and the youngest person to preach a Share Him series was 11 years old. And we're looking for a 10-year-old. And the oldest was 91. And we're looking for a 92-year-old. Talk to me afterwards. Pastor, it's exciting to listen to you, but I see you have quite a group of evangelists here. Tell me, you know, is there some stories that we can share? Or, or tell me a little bit about the group you have Well, Justin, here. these individuals here, these young people, we're not just talking about a theory here. These young people have participated in a Share Him event. And I have a feeling, I'm looking out and I see faces that I recognize who have been involved in, in Share Him. If you've been involved in Share Him before, could you raise your hand? Look at all the hands. Isn't that exciting? Now, what about all of you who don't have your hands up? What are you going to join? These people have been involved. Some of them have preached twice. And uh, let me just share a few stories. First of all, Joshua. Joshua Condado, you were in El Salvador. And you were preaching in, in, a, in a church. Tell the story about when you got to church and they had canceled the meeting for another more interesting event. Well, I was... You know how we are required to go through our sermon at least three times before we preach it that night. Well, that day I had, pre- I had practiced it four times just to be extra prepared for it. And I get to the church, and they canceled the meeting for a funeral because one of the old ladies of the church had died. So they tell me to preach the sermon I had done about a week before. So and what was that sermon about? About where the dead go when they die. Amen? Now here he is, a first-time evangelist, and he is called upon to preach a funeral sermon. When he came back to the hotel that evening, it was amazing. And he preached on the hope we have in resurrection. Did you make it through that funeral sermon okay? Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> now do not, do not panic, folks. This doesn't happen to everybody, okay? All right? doesn't happen to everybody. Um, Robbie? Uh, Robbie uh, preached a series in El Salvador and uh, as well in Tanzania. Robbie, you had an interesting thing happen this summer in Tanzania. Uh, tell us about your driver that took you every night out to, to your site. Yeah, well, I had a site about 30 minutes out from where we were staying. 
And we were right at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro in, in Tanzania. So that was really awesome. At night you could see this big mountain. And our driver would drive us out about 30 minutes to my site and then would take a lady out to her site about an hour out. And this wasn't the first time he'd driven people for Shehem. This He had done the same thing in 2003 and 2005. And each time he'd been, re- he'd been resisting, I believe he was Muslim. And he would just stand, he would s- listen to the meetings and would just resist and resist. He wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit in his heart. But this time he was listening and he would usually stay either at my site or this other lady's. And at the end he decided to give his heart to the Lord. Amen. And he said that he's going to wait and he's going to convince his whole family to get baptized with Amen. him. Amen. Three, three times a charm. Amen. Sometimes we feel, well, they didn't accept the truth this time. Then we say, well, we're going to move on. But you know, we need to continue to have that love that God has for us and continue to seek after others. So, Robbie, that was an interesting story. Now, let me ask uh, the, the two ladies at the end. They're from Fountain View Academy, seniors there this year. And you went to Dominican Republic uh, a few years back. And uh, tell us about that. Uh, you, you went, you prepared your sermons months in advance, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? No, I went to Dominican with the mindset that, like, I didn't want to preach. I was just going to do the children's meetings, maybe like a health talk, maybe if I was forced. But I really didn't want to preach. And so I went there. And as I was, like, on the plane, you know, there there was another kid that had actually planned to preach. And he was on his plane, and he got a phone call saying that a family emergency had happened. And he had to come home right away. So that left an opening that they needed a preacher for. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I didn't um, originally want to preach. But, like, I prayed about it for a while. And I just felt so impressed that I needed to do this and that God was calling me to do this. So even though I didn't feel comfortable doing it, I stepped up and I did it. And I'm so glad that I did it. I was really blessed by the whole experience. A powerful story, amen? A young senior gets on a plane, not pre- not even planning to preach, but gets there, God opens the door, she preaches, and she's changed because of it. Amen? Amen. I just wonder, by show of hands, how many of you are going to preach again? Get the hands up in the air. You can be proud of it. <laughs> Every one of them. And now there's probably going to be someone in the audience that's thinking, you know what, not me. Sure, th- those people can do it. By show of hands, would you recommend everyone in the audience to do it? You see it for yourself. Now, I just, I just wonder, Pastor, there's probably someone out here just kind of at the edge of their seat. I can almost see it. They maybe want to go to the Philippines. Maybe they want to go to India. Maybe they want to do something in Tennessee. But how are they going to find out about it? What's the best way? Folks, all of you can be involved in it. First step, I would recommend we're here. We have a booth. We'd love to talk to you individually about your local church, about international opportunities. Our our website, sharehim.org, has got all of the 750 campaign uh, locations for this coming year, plus all the different countries. Uh, we are also we also have a seminar. Uh, GYC is invited. Share him. I'm going to be leading a seminar called Evangel Living, how to I- basically live a lifestyle of evangelism both at home as well as internationally. So just l- come to the seminar, come to our booth, go visit our website, but make sure to take that step of faith. It will change your life. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I, I would encourage you to go to the site too. I was. Surprised. I was at ASI just a few months ago, and, and I hadn't been to the Share Him site, and, and I think it was either 
Pastor Falkenberg or his father. He said, you know what, you got to check this site out because this is some neat stuff. And I, and I thought, well, you know, I'll get to it sometime. But I actually did go to the site, and they actually have a globe where you can pick a country, and that's where you can preach at. So I would invite you, go to the Shareham website, get involved, and get preaching. Amen? I'm also going to invite Chelsea out here next. We are going to become an organization that's more than just an annual conference. Can you say amen? More than just come once a month, or excuse me, once a year to Minneapolis or or Sacramento or Atlanta or Houston or wherever it may be that we are, we're going to become an organization that trains young people wherever you're at and gives you the opportunity to get involved in God's last day ministry. Amen? Chelsea, you and I have talked a little bit with Pastor Finley, and we want to do a training weekend. Now, can you tell me what it's going to be about? I can. We want to have an intensive training weekend. You come to GYC, you go on the the outreach day and these other projects, and we want to do a training that's more intensive on just outreach, evangelism. How can you bring this back to your church? So Pastor Finley has agreed to take a weekend, a long weekend, and train us, and we will have outreach projects so you can do hands-on while you're there. Hey, man, so, so let me get this straight. If I'm a young person sitting in the audience, I'm maybe a little nervous about getting involved in outreach, but I know I want to do it. You're telling me that GYC is going to give me a whole weekend where I have access to Pastor Mark Finley? That's right. All right. Do you want to do that, yes or no? I don't know if we should even tell them. They don't seem that exciting. Would you like to do it, yes or no? Amen. So we better tell them where it's going to be at. It's going to be in Florida in the Orlando area, and it's going to start July 2nd to July 6th. I just wonder, is anyone from Florida here? I'm I'm confident you would have a a different climate when you go down there, but July 2nd to July 6th, Orlando, Florida, how can I sign up for it? We will put all the information online after we after we um, finish here with this weekend. So get online, keep checking the GYC website, sign up online, and we'll have the intensive weekend there in Orlando. Now, Chelsea, let me just ask you something. You were a young person. You went to Maplewood Academy here in Minnesota. That's right. Kind of involved in evangelism, kind of not. Right. Why should they come? As you've experienced more evangelism, what, Mm. what would drive them to come to this? Well, I've just found, and I'm sure many of you have, that evangelism and being involved in it on the front lines, working hand-in-hand with God to bring lost souls to Jesus, it's changed my life. And as you come, if you enjoy the outreach day here, you're going to learn more on how you can bring that back to your own church. You'll be able to ask questions and be in the trainings and then go out in the afternoon and try it. Come back with your questions, and we we can learn how to be more effective in the work. Are you getting excited? GYC is taking the stance and taking the commitment that we want to get young people properly trained so that we can raise up an army of young people that can finish the work. Amen? This is just one of the ways that GYC is offering more training through Pastor Finley, July 2nd to July 6th, Orlando, Florida. Visit the website. You'll find out more. Friends, I'm telling you what. You come to this weekend... You'll catch the disease of evangelism and you'll never be the same. Amen. Have you been blessed? You ready to do evangelism? 
You'll have the opportunity to do that here at GYC this weekend. I now have the privilege of introducing the speaker of the hour. Uh, GYC's president, Israel Ramos. Israel really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. I've known Israel since 2001, when GYC was just eight young people, poor college students, very poor, <laughs> you know, when all we had was you know, a vision and a belief that God was going to do something special for the young people and for the world through our efforts. I have many fond memories of, of GYC and, and working with Israel. I remember our uh, first meetings that we held over Yahoo Chat, very professional. <laughs> and when we upgraded to conference calls, I remember uh, calling Israel every, what seemed like every other week to remind him that we had a conference call. And I remember uh, he, he probably didn't answer because he knew it was me again. But <laughs> it, we've, uh, we've just been through so much over the years. And uh, I remember talking to Israel about GYC's progress, uh, the challenges facing GYC, and GYC's future. And I've come to appreciate Israel as a friend, as a brother, as a leader, as a mentor, but most of all, as the one whom God has raised up at this time in Earth's history to lead this very important movement. Some of you know that Israel is the father of two precious kids. Uh, he has a son named Emmanuel Alexander, and he just uh, has... Uh, he just um, received another son. His name is Micah Christian. And uh, in a way, GYC is also Israel's baby. And uh, some of you know that this is the last GYC where Israel will be giving an opening address as a GYC president. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank Israel for his dedication for his commitment, for his sacrifice. I'm sure you'd want to, too. And I just want Israel to know um, how thankful we are for his ministry and to let him know how eager uh, we are to hear the message that God has impressed upon him for this evening. Before Israel speaks, we're going to have a special music by Jessica Hess and Laura Guthrie. And after that, the next voice you will hear will be that of Israel Ramos. Take my moments and my 
It must have been a long time ago. You know, back in the day when religion played a major role in the entire community. People were still dependent on agriculture. Everyone was a farmer. Everyone grew their own food. It must have been some time ago. The community seemed to be going through difficult times. It hadn't rained for a very, very, very long time. And the community so dependent on growing crops in order to survive was beginning to feel the effects of those difficult, almost, those difficult times, almost as if there was a plague that fell in the land of famine. It is then that it was perhaps the minister who got together all the people in the community and they had a quick meeting. They realized that the sun seemed to be sucking the very life of every soul in that town. The preacher got together the community and they established a day of prayer. We're going to get together and we're going to pray for rain. Time was appointed. Place was appointed. And at that particular time, at the particular place, everyone showed up. It seemed as though the whole town was there. Along with the instructions that they had been given, people came and they arrived at this event with symbols of faith that would encourage others in their walk with Christ. We're praying for rain. Some came with their rosaries, others came with crosses, some brought their Bibles, different things, different people brought different things. And there it was that the group got together in the backyard of some farmer. They began to pray for rain. I don't know how long it took, but rain began to fall. Rain began to fall. But perhaps what catches our attention most from that crowd that is gathered there that day on the field praying for rain is not so much the woman who is grasping the Bible close to her heart as if to protect it from the water that falls from the sky or the man who grasps the little cross that he brought with him in his hand as he sees the rain falling on the ground. Perhaps what catches our attention the most is the little girl in the middle. The little girl who would otherwise have been unnoticed. The little girl who would perhaps have been drowned there in the multitude of the people had it not been for the simple fact that she came with an umbrella. Let us pray. Father in heaven, only you who designed the heart can realize the burden that you've placed on my heart and communicate it properly to the heart of everyone here in this auditorium today. Do that for us and empower us to be Christians. Our prayer is in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us to work with GYC in this capacity. I especially want to thank my colleagues, the executive committee and the board of directors who have been patient with me, especially our treasurer, Tom in working in this capacity. You know, 
Andrea was actually GYC's first president, and she was a very good one. But she stepped aside and allowed me to assume that role, and we owe a lot to her. But we're happy, uh, we're happy at the same time that we have another president who's going to be able to take GYC to the next step, to the next level, and that is Justin McNeilis, whom you all already know. But as we approach a new beginning for GYC, and as we approach a new phase for GYC, as we approach a new direction, we look once again at our theme, and we realize that it is a fitting theme. Our theme is a simple one, yet is profound with so much meaning, to be. To be. It is a theme that deals with identity. And it just so happens that today we live in unusual times where everything seems to attack the very identity of Christians and of Seventh-day Adventists living in today's generation. But stop for a moment and ponder with me this idea that outside of in identity, it is impossible for us to reach the destiny that God has placed in our lives as individuals and as a corporate ministry. In other words, in identity is not one of the most important components in the Christian experience, but rather it is the most important component in the Christian experience. Identity determines destiny. Who we are is important. And a recognition of who we are is important if we will ever accomplish that which we are called to accomplish. The question is asked, will you and I, will you and I arrive at the place where God wants us to be, or will we be sidetracked along the way? The answer is, it depends on your understanding and mine of our identity. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being 40 days, of, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And there were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, verse 3, And the devil said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Let's pause for a moment and consider what is happening here. The Bible says in, Mark, in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus had just been led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. But the Bible tells us there where he was led to the wilderness from. Jesus, the Bible says, had, had just been led from Jordan into the wilderness. What took place at Jordan? Jordan was a place where Jesus was baptized. And just there, finishing the baptismal ceremony from John the Baptist to Jesus, as Jesus arose out of the water, water still dripping from his head, you looked up to the sky and you were able to see there the dove flying down from heaven and the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right after that declaration, not too much time passes from when that event takes place to when Jesus goes up into the wilderness and there he begins his fast. Forty days pass and the Bible tells us that Jesus was hungry. 
Immediately after Jesus has fasted, the devil approaches Jesus in verse 3, and he says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. In other words, Jesus here is being questioned by the devil regarding his identity. The question is asked, Jesus, do you really think that you are the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, let's settle this right now. Command that, these bre- the command that these stones be turned into bread. And then you will be able to prove, not only to me, but most importantly to yourself, if indeed you are the Son of God. A question of identity. It is perhaps, it is perhaps the struggle of every Hispanic boy and girl that grows up in the ghetto of Southern California. You move to the suburbs where most people look differently from the way that you look, where most people are different from the way that you are. You look around and your next door neighbor is no longer your same ethnicity. I remember when we made the move, my brother and I were in our backyard when we had this conversation. And there it went something like this. My brother, who I still respect to this very day, came up to me and he said, Israel, you know what? My name is no longer Juan. That's what my parents named him. And I said, really? We were little kids. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is John. (laughs) Really? Yeah, my name is John. And he says, and my last name is no longer Ramos. I said, what do you mean your last name is not Ramos? He said, no, my new name is John McCain. (laughs) John McCain. I didn't change my name, but I began to think about my brother, whose whose name was now John McCain. And I thought to myself, we live in a different neighborhood. Looked outside and people weren't graffitiing on the wall like they did back at home. They were riding bikes. They were riding skateboards. And some of them had these long haircuts and their hair would cover half their face and I thought to myself if I want to fit in I need to do that too my parents were wondering why in the world I wouldn't get my hair cut and one day I came out of my room with my curly hair and it was kind of almost plastered to half my face but you know the white kids, whenever they were riding their skateboards and they were looking down, their, head would ju- their hair would just fall down and they would move their hair and they would, their head and they would kind of fly in the air. It didn't work that easily when I tried to do it. There I was on my skateboard, blowing the air towards my hair so that it can kind of make it move and it wouldn't move. The problem was that I lost my identity. I lost my identity. I ask myself the question, if we forget who we are, what are the dangers that we face? I wonder what would have happened if Jesus lost his identity. The plan of salvation wouldn't have been possible. You and I, friends, have been given a destiny. This movement has been given a destiny. But whether we will fulfill the destiny, the command, the mandate 
that God has given to us as individuals and as a corporate body depends on whether or not we will remember who we are amidst the changing times that are before us. There are three secrets that need to be considered when we're considering our identity. The first is the past, the second is the present, and the third is the future. In other words, Jesus, in order for him to pass this trial, this trial that was attacking his identity, first had to remember the fact that he saw himself with his very own eyes, heard with his very own ears, the voice of God coming out of heaven, declaring him to be the Son of God. We need to remember our past. We need to remember the present. Many times taking into consideration the future, we forget that we have a life to live today. The decisions that we make today will determine whether or not we have a future. Our future depends upon our present. And whether or not we have a future depends on what we are doing currently with our present. We cannot change the past. We cannot control the future. But God has given you and God has given me the present. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this evening is, what kind of decisions are we making today? Outside of a vision, we will arrive nowhere. If God has not given to us a vision for the future, then the present and the past are useless. Because if God has not given to us something to focus on in the future, and if you do not have a place to which to where we are to arrive, in the middle we will deviate and go everywhere except the place that God calls us to go the power of the future look at me one more time at a different story that is found right there in the book of luke just a couple verses later on let's look at verse 37 together luke chapter 4 and verse 37 and the fame of him and the fame of him went into every place of the country round about and he arose out of the synagogue and entered into simon's house And Simon's wife's mother was taking with great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that were, all they that had any, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out and came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Notice now what takes place in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. Verse 43, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogue of Galilee. Jesus is now traveling all over the region. He's preaching the gospel and wherever he goes, he's gaining fame round about him. In some places, Jesus is loved. As a matter of fact, there was one place where everyone brought everyone that they knew who was sick. And the Bible says that Jesus took the time to heal everyone in the entire city. 
It took him probably the whole night and he didn't rest. And then the next morning, everyone came to Jesus and they asked him to stay. But Christ said, no, I have to go to another place and I have to minister to another group of people. Jesus was beginning to gain popularity, but not all of it was, not all of it was positive. Just before this takes place in the synagogue, he was at another place, and there he opens the book of Isaiah, and from the prophecies, he declares himself to be the Messiah. People get so upset at Christ that they pick up rocks and they're ready to stone him before he escapes. And so now you have a mixed group, a mixed, uh, a mixed group of emotions that is following Jesus from place to place. Some people like him, some people don't. But almost everywhere, everyone knows about Jesus. We're going to come right back to that, but first we're going to look at what happens in chapter 5. And it came to pass that as... That, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little far from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down my net. And when he had, the, and when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes that their net break. Let's skip down to verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is it that Peter responds in this way? I mean, Peter saw Lazarus rise from the dead. Peter saw a multitude being fed just by a little bit of food. I mean, there are other miracles that in my mind are superior and more miraculous than this miracle that takes place as they are fishing on the sea. But yet the effect that this miracle takes on Peter is so outrageous that it demands the attention of everyone who reads this passage. Why is it that Peter responds to Jesus saying, I am a sinful man, O Lord? Why is it that Peter is astonished by this miracle that Jesus performs at the beginning of their ministry? The answer is perhaps found there in the passages that we've just read. Did you notice there in the beginning of our reading that Jesus is there with Peter at his mother-in-law's house? His mother-in-law has just been sick and Jesus heals her. Something happens from that time to the time where Jesus goes down to the lake and begins to preach to the multitude that is there. A lot of time hasn't, uh, hasn't taken place. A lot of time hasn't elapsed. It has been but a short time since Jesus has been with Peter's mother-in-law to when Jesus performs that miracle. But did you catch there what transpires in between? Jesus goes to another city and he begins to preach the gospel to heal people all night long. The next morning, perhaps with no sleep, he goes on to the next city and he preaches the gospel all day long. The next morning, he's found there early in the morning by the Sea of Galilee, preaching once again to the multitude. And I ask myself the question, could it be? Could it be that all this time as Jesus is healing and preaching, 
The disciples are fishing. Notice what happens. Notice what happens. At the end of that miracle, Peter fallen at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about it. I'm going to make you to become a fisher of men. You see, friends, there's a difference between someone who fishes and someone who is a fisher. Someone who fishes can decide to stop anytime he wants. Someone who fishes can decide to take a break anytime she wants. But if you are a fisher, if your livelihood depends on fishing, if fisherman is your identity, then you fish because you are a fisherman. The question is, do you and I fish or are we fishers? Identity determines destiny. Identity determines destiny. For the last thoughts on our message this evening, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. This is actually the theme text for our weekend together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Romans chapter 12, we find what is the identity that you and I are called to take. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we find the reason for why we are to embrace this identity. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we find the way in which we secure this identity. We're looking at what is the identity, why is it that we are to absorb that identity, and how is it that we can attain that identity. Let's look at the passage together. It starts off by saying, I beseech, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice that the Bible does not say, I command you, I command you to make your bodies a living sacrifice. No, the Bible uses the word beseech. I urge you, it is a plea. A plea here, Paul is pleading with the church, with all that he has, begging them as it were, to make themselves a living sacrifice for Jesus. Friends, the, 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 the thing about the identity is that you and I cannot legislate an identity that we will undertake. 
Christianity is not about legislation. Following Jesus is not about legalism. Following Jesus is not a result of do's and don'ts. Following Jesus first starts from the heart. Paul says, I beseech you, I cannot force you to follow Jesus. I cannot force you to take the identity of Christ. You cannot force Christianity on someone as though you are some police officer that is working for Jesus. Taking Jesus' identity as your own comes simply as a result of Jesus touching the heart. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice there how the Bible says that it is by the mercies of God. In other words, that is the reason. Why is it that the identity, Christ's identity, is an identity that you and I are to have? Simply because the mercies of God have been extended to you and to me. In other words, it is impossible for you to undertake the identity of Jesus. It is impossible for us as GYC or as individuals to fulfill our destiny if the mercies of God have not yet affected and impacted our lives. By the mercies of God. I remember still to this very day as though it was yesterday, the teleconference call that we had. Andrea already told you about our chat room meetings. Stacy Osterman came along and she upgraded us to teleconferencing. We were there on the phone and we were talking about whether or not we were going to have the first GYC. You see, the dilemma that we were facing was this. We were going to have to pay $50,000 to host the first GYC. All of us were students and we had zero dollars in the bank account. We knew that if we were to go under with this GYC, our parents were going to have to pay. I thought to myself, my parents do not have $50,000 in the bank. Good thing Andrea's president. I remember our prayer meeting there. Some of us were saying, you know what? We need to cancel it this year. We're not ready to have GYC this year. Others were saying, we need to have it. We need to have it. Once we start, we need to press forward all the way. And so finally, we came to a compromise. We said, unless we have X amount of money, by the end of this week, we're going to cancel GYC. Day one, no money. Day two, no money. As I remember, day three, no money. And we were getting closer and closer to the end of the week and no money. But I remember, I remember more the phone call that we got on the day of. Someone donated the money. It wasn't one or two dollars. It wasn't five or ten dollars. It was thousands of dollars. I think back. I think back. The thought crosses my mind. What would have happened? What would have happened if we didn't have GYC the first year? 
the mercies of God. I look around and we have the best auditorium that we've ever had in the history of GYC. I remember comparing this as we were flying on the airplane over here in my mind. I only saw it in pictures. And I remember there our first GYC, Pine Springs Ranch. We thought only 200 people were going to come. We wrote down the list of all our friends and we thought that among all of us we had at least 200 friends. 500 came, we had to close down registration. Not because of anyone, mercies of God. Do you realize that our executive committee, none of us have any training in securing these type of facilities? And yet, every year, something happens. It's called the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus does not ask us to sacrifice our money. Jesus does not ask us to sacrifice our assets. Jesus does not ask us to sacrifice anything but ourselves. What good is it to donate everything that we have, yet hold back ourselves? God will not accept your offering if you don't offer yourself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Jesus says to you and to me, do to me that which is right. In other words, Israel, GYC, everyone that is here this evening, if I've not done anything for you, don't do anything for me. But if you have been a partaker of the mercies of God, then present your bodies a living sacrifice because this is your reasonable service. How is it that we do this? How is it that we do this? Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a natural law that unless we are transformed, you and I are being conformed. In other other words, the way in which we avoid conforming is by allowing God to transform. But notice there what the Bible says. Notice there what the Bible says, because GYC is an army of young people who are on a mission. To proclaim the three angels' messages to the whole world in this generation. But how is it that this group of young people will be able to transform this world into what it ought to be? This group of people into who they are to, into who they are to be in order for Jesus to come back? The Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, before you and I are called to transform anybody else, Jesus says, you know what? Why don't you worry about my work in your life? You be transformed. Don't try to transform the world outside of the transformation that takes place, that ought to take place in your very own heart first. You be transformed by the renewing of your life, that of your mind, that you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. Identity. Without the past, we have none. Without the present, we have none. Without the future, we have none. What is our identity? Our identity is to be like Jesus. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, God-likeness is the goal to be reached. Why is it that we are called to be like Jesus? Because of the mercies of God. How is it that we can be like Jesus? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't allow yourself to be conformed. We are conformed because of one of two reasons. The ease of conforming. The ease of conforming. The disciples began to fish because it was easier than following Jesus. The popularity of Christ was going up and down and it was almost schizophrenic. They wanted stability. Let's go fishing. That's what we're used to. The ease. The ease. Friends, if you and I only follow Jesus when it is easy, then you and I do not have an identity. The second reason why people conform is because they don't know who they are in identity crisis. His name was Jeremy. He was a little boy who was too old to be in his class. Something happened when he was young and he was unable to really excel the way he ought to have excelled. His parents thought about moving him to special ed classes, but there was something about the class that he was in. They wanted to keep him there. The teacher said, you have to take him out. It is for his own benefit. The parents decided not to. Jeremy would speak up in class sometimes. And he had slurred speech and he was loud. It was embarrassing. Sometimes he would just blurt out from the back of the class to his teacher. And he would say, I love you. And everyone would burst out laughing. Easter rolled around and it was time for everyone to bring Easter eggs to school. The assignment was to find something in spring that was an example of new life. So everyone went home and picked something up. They were supposed to put it in the little egg. Teacher was caught up with work and she thought to herself as the day approached, I should have called Jeremy's parents. I should have called Jeremy's parents. Now Jeremy's going to come to school with the wrong assignment. To her dismay, it seemed to have been true. The first person came to class, they opened up the Easter egg, and there they showed the class, a flower. You're right, a flower is a symbol of new life. In the spring, the flowers bloom, symbol of new life. Person after person after person came up. And then Jeremy raised his hand, teacher, aren't you going to show my egg? He opened his egg. His egg was empty. Her heart was filled with grief. Oh no, oh no, what am I going to do? Jeremy said, teacher, teacher, please comment on my egg. She said in desperation, Jeremy, there's nothing in your egg. And Jeremy said there was nothing in the tomb. There was nothing in the tomb. Our identity is based on a living Christ. And because our identity is based on a living Christ, Christ asks us, for a living 
faith. How many of you want the faith of Jesus in your lives? This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.